So I want to ask you a question, and I just want you to think about it in your mind. The question is this, who is God? I want you to think of at least three things that in your mind you would say, this is God. God is this, he's this, he's this. So during first service, as soon as I said, okay, well now let's talk about this, they said, oh, that's not enough time. So let me give you a few more seconds. Okay, so at least three things that you have in your mind. All right, so now I want to know, did anyone think of God is an artist? Oh, okay, so I think I saw one hand. All right, so we have one. God is an artist, right? If we look around us, we, all we need to do is look at nature, look at flowers, and we know that God as a creator is an artist. Okay, now, I'm surprised that there weren't more for artists. Did anyone think, okay, God is an interior decorator? No? Why not? He is. In the book of Exodus, if you've read the chapters of the sanctuary, he is an interior decorator. He is so detailed about every single thing that he's describing and how it is to be made. And it goes from chapter 25 to 31. But there's one more thing that I have to mention. Did anyone think of God is a fashion designer? No? Well, he is also in the book of Exodus. So I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 28, because that's what we'll spend most of our time in chapter 28 and 29. And God is, while he was describing the sanctuary and all the different articles and things that are in the sanctuary, then he suddenly switches from being an interior designer to being a fashion designer. And he designs clothing for especially one person. And that one person is the guest that I have for you today. And so I want to invite him to come forward. You can't miss him. I'll let him come forward and stand maybe over here. All right, so those of you who may not know him, this is Pastor Gaspar Cologne as our high priest for today. Isn't, doesn't he make an awesome high priest? Right? It's great. So I want to start with chapter 28 because God is now turning to talking about the people and what the people are going to be doing in the sanctuary, those who will be serving in the sanctuary. So start with me in chapter 28, verse 1. It says, Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And now he says, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for this reason, for glory and for beauty. What does that mean? For glory. This is talking about the glory of God, God's character. That's what the glory of God is, his character. And who was the holy, pri the holy, he was a holy priest, but who was the high priest representing? Jesus, 
right? So he is representing the character of Christ. And amazingly, even the clothing that God designed represent the character of Christ. So we'll go through that. But I want to mention the for beauty part because that is an important word. And a lot of times we think that God only did things that had practical purpose. But Bible scholars agree that if you look through the designs that God did for the sanctuary and then for the temple later on, you'll see that not everything had a pragmatic purpose. It was also just for beauty because he is a beautiful God who wanted things to look beautiful. So I'm gonna start by going through his outfit so that you can see the different parts. I'm going to actually go kind of out of order on what is in chapter 28, and I'll point out a few verses to you so that you know where they are. But I'm going to start with the bottom part, which is this white clothing right here. And it covers him all the way to the top here, all the way to his hand, to his feet, and then it's also on his head. White and the Bible represents the righteousness of Christ. And it's, it's for a reason that it covers all of him. Because we have to be all of us covered with the righteousness of Christ. I cannot do anything that will make me righteous. It has to be all of Christ in me. And so they were covered and every single priest wore the same thing, all of the white. And you can actually notice, I'll show you in verse 40, it says, for Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them. So they just wore belts over it. And you shall make hats for them, once again, for glory and beauty. So the white, every single one of them wore. And then the high priest was special in a few other things. So the next one is the robe of the ephod, which is mentioned in, starting in verse 31. And this robe is this part right here. It's the blue Blue in the Bible stands for the law of God, and it comes from the fact that people believe that, Bible scholars believe that when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, he brought them on stones from God, and that the stones were blue, because the throne of God is blue, and there's a lot of blue in heaven. And so blue represents the character of God, as it comes to the law, because God is justice. Well, what's interesting about the blue robe is that is what it ends with. So it comes down to, I don't know if you can see this very well, but there are something special on the bottom of this. Oh, and I forgot to tell you that there is an insert in your bulletin that has the picture of the high priest in it. So if any of you want to take any notes on anything, um, you can do that. This is yours to keep. And it has the picture of it, so you can maybe see some of it closer um, than the high priest up here. So on the bottom of the blue row would have been pomegranates and bells. And they were just pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. Now it says that the pomegranates were of blue, purple, and scarlet, or red. So this is not a perfect representation of it because most pictures have either the red or the purple, but they were also blue. And what I find fascinating about that is that there is no blue pomegranates, right? There is no blue pomegranates, which means God has an imagination too. So God does this, and each one of those things also represents something. 
The fruit is the fruit of righteousness, the fruit that we are to produce when Christ is in us. And then the bells, you can hear them as soon as he moves, right? When we walk somewhere, we're also carrying a sound because our life carries a sound to the people around us. Every single one of us has a witness and people know us based on something, the things we do and the things we say. That is who we are. And that is the sound we carry wherever it is that we go. And Christ was the perfect witness. So then we move to the ephod. And the ephod is described in starting with verse 5. And it says the ephod is this part right here. And that part was made of gold, blue, purple, and red. So we have some colors missing on here. And then the sash that went over it. But the ephod was important because of two things. Because it had two onyx stones, they were actually supposed to be on the shoulder. So each shoulder had an onyx stone, one right here and one right there. Onyx stones would have been of different colors, could be any color. But what was special about it is what was on it. The two onyx stones, I'm reading from verse 9, had engraved on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six of the names on the other stone. And the reason for this was, it says at the end of verse 12, so Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. What did shoulders represent? Strength and support. So this is pointing to Jesus who holds us on his shoulders, who supports us at all times. So we don't have to worry because he's got us and he's carrying us on his shoulders. And he wanted the Israelites to know that. And then we go to the breastplate. The breastplate explanation begins in verse 15. And once again, it says it was of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. But what was important about the breastplate is the gems. Every single gem had a name of a tribe of Israel on it. And I find it fascinating that God chose gems. It's as if he's saying, you are a precious stone. You as a tribe are your own color because you are unique and nobody else is like you. You are precious. The same way that every single individual is precious to God and special and each one of us is like that unique gem. And so he was carrying this, it says now, Aaron shall, in verse 29, shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. This was not by accident that it was over his heart. Because not only was Jesus supporting this people on his shoulders, he's also carrying them in his heart. Over his heart because they belong to him and he loves them. That's what is in the heart. Emotions, affection, and love. And then this breast piece was also like a pouch that would have hold in them 
the Urim and the Thummim. We don't have any examples of them. We don't have any examples of them, and I don't know whether anyone even knows what they look like. But the Urim and the Thummim were used for answering questions. So if you had an inquiry from that you something you wanted to ask God, you would go to the priest and you would ask, and the the Urim would light up if the answer was yes, and if the answer was no, then it would cloud over. The thummim would cloud over. Wouldn't it be amazing just to still have that, right? I, I think of that sometimes. It would be so great to just go to the priest and ask them questions. Um, so next, then is describing the headpiece. He wore the hat, and then on top of it was something that's called a holy crown, that had an inscription on it, and the inscription said, holiness to the Lord, or holy to the Lord. Once again, pointing to Jesus and his holiness. So now, God designed the clothing. Is that enough for them to be priests? No. He said, you need to now consecrate them. And we'll talk about this next, but I'm going to let Pastor Gaspar go. Thank you so much for being our high priest today. He told me that he has never been a sermon illustration before. <laughs> and I said, well, there's a first for everything. So I want to point you now to some verses. At the end of chapter 28 and verse 41, it says, You shall anoint them, all the priests, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. There are two main words that are used for consecrate. They're translated as consecrate. 29 verse 1 says, And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them, in my Bible says, to ministering to me as priests. Most Bible versions, though, say consecrate or sanctify. The word is kodesh, or kadesh. The word for, and, and it's the word for holy, to make holy. So it can be translated as any of those things. But the word is found in these two chapters over 20 times, so many times. It's referring to the holiness of God, and that they are to be made holy, because it was an important part of who God is. But there is one other word well, actually, it's not really one word. It's a couple words. It's a phrase that's also translated as to consecrate. And this word is also used several times through, I believe there's about eight, of eight times. But I would have to make sure. That's the last count that I did. I believe it was eight, but it could be more. So I want to show you where it's found, just for one or two, because we don't have time to go through all of them. Go to verse 9 in chapter 29, all the way at the end of that verse. It says, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. And the word that's translated as consecrate, and I believe in your Bible version, as you're reading it, it said ordain, right? A lot of Bible versions will say ordain. And it really doesn't necessarily matter which way you translate it, but this is the literal words that are there. The words are mile yad. It's M-I-L-E if you want to write it down, and yad, we write it as Y-A-D, but it really doesn't matter because it's just an English version of the word, right? So however you want to spell it, it's fine. So mile yad, and mile means to fill, and yad means hand, my hand, 
So what is it saying? Literally, this is saying, so you shall fill the hand of Aaron and the hands of his sons. What is that? Well, I think we all know what having filled hands or full hands means, right? Any of you have ever been grocery shopping? Whenever I go grocery shopping and I bring everything home, I will make sure with everything in me that I only have to make one trip with all those groceries. And I will pick up anything and everything and I will try to come up with a plan of like, how can I possibly like fit all of this together so that all I have to do is just carry it in my two hands and take it all in at the same time. We live up two flights of stairs, so I don't want to go carrying things back and forth. Any of you ever been there? We sometimes do incredible acrobatics to make sure that we carry it all in one time. We know what full hands are. Well, now imagine that you are holding stuff, you're holding all these groceries, and you're walking up to your house. Someone walks out and says, here, hold this for me. What are you going to do? Well, I can't, obviously because I'm holding all this stuff. The priests were supposed to hold something in their hands. What was that? God says, fill your hands with something. So I wanna show you just a summary of what it was that they were going to do through the consecration service. And I believe that it answers our question. So the consecration service included four things, four steps. The first one was, in verse four, it says, And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Now notice, it doesn't say, you shall wash yourselves at home and then come. No, it says, you come, and then Moses will wash you. Why? Because once again, it's pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can cleanse us. He's the only one who can truly wash us. So from the start, it was supposed to stick in their brains, this is not about me, this is about him. And then the next part says, then you shall take the garments, and it explains all the things that they're gonna put on Aaron, and then put the holy crown on him and take the anointing oil and pour it on his head. And in verse 8 says, Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statue. So number one was washing. Number two, robing. They were going to put their clothes on. And their clothes pointed to Jesus. Again, it was about putting Jesus on. And number three, anointing. Anointing with oil once again points to the Holy Spirit, God being in our lives. And then number four is what starts at verse 10 and goes almost to the end of the chapter, and that's sacrifices. And the sacrifices, there were three main ones. They were to get a bull, two rams, and some bread and some other things that was for food. 
The first thing they did was they took the bull, they had to put their hands on it, on the bull, kill the bull, and that was their first sacrifice, and this was the sin offering, because they are not Jesus. The priests are not Jesus. They are sinful human beings. And so they needed, before they could represent the people before God, they needed to ask for their own forgiveness. Then number two, they took one of the rams. And this was a burnt offering. And the burnt offering is not about sins, but it's about dedicating yourself to God. Giving yourself completely and totally saying, God, I am here, have me. So that's the second sacrifice they did. And then after this, they took the, the, the second ram. That was the third sacrifice. And this one is called a wave offering. But it's also in other places of the Bible known as the well-being offering or peace offering. And this one was a celebration offering. Jesus, God, you are in my life and I have peace and I have joy. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. So what were their hands to be full of? Let me say it like this. Let's say that you're holding those groceries. You're just really holding on to them. And that person come, that's coming up to you is Jesus. And he says, here, I want to give you this. And that this is a purpose. A life lived with me and for me. I want you to live for me. Now what are you going to do? You have a choice, really. You can keep holding on to the groceries and say, oh, but God, uh, do you see that my hands are really full? And what could those groceries be? Could be our phone that we're on all the time because we just can't put it away. It could be addictions, lack of, for, lack of forgiveness, a person we're just holding so tightly on. It could be anything, even good things, our jobs. But we're holding on to them so tightly that when Jesus comes and says, I have a purpose and a life for you, we're saying, oh, God. My hands are so full. Or we have the other option, and that is to drop them. Drop it all and say, God, I accept your gift. I want that purpose in my life. I want to live for you. What's amazing about this is that the consecration, yes, we can say, okay, well, this was for the priest during that time. But God's plan was always for every single one of us to be his priests. Always. That was the original plan. But then the people 
If you were here for my last sermon, I talked about how God invited them up the mountain and they said, oh no, uh, we can't do that. And after the golden calf incident, God says, all right, I'm going to have the Levites be my priests. And Aaron and Moses come from the tribe of Levi. But then, in the New Testament, God was able to return back to the original plan of priesthood of all believers. First Peter talks about that. Revelation talks about where God says, I have made you my kings and priests. You are the royal priesthood, every single one of you. I want you to be my priests. And so he's offering that gift and he's saying, will you? Will you be my priest? Will you live for me? Will your purpose in life be all about me? This week, the pastors and teachers and administrators were together at a retreat, at a spiritual retreat in Mount Etna. And at the beginning of it, the speaker, who was Don McClafferty, gave us a sheet of paper, it was yellow, with a bunch of different statements. And the statements were, were kind of like, do you, do you have unrushed time for God every day? Those types of questions. And do you make time for God? And one of the, question, one of the statements was, I have made Jesus the Lord of my life daily with everything I do and everything I have. And as I was looking at this question, and believe me, there were other questions that I had to say no to, but as I was looking at this question, I was thinking, I can't say yes. I just can't say yes. Why is it that I can't say yes? I'm a pastor. I should be able to say that every single day I, su I surrender and I give myself to God. Why can't I say it? I have to say no. And I had to say no because of several words on there because it said daily. And I know that daily I don't do that because so many times I pick up those groceries and I am full of stuff and I don't want to let it go when Jesus says, do this for me. On the second day of this retreat, Don McClafferty made a call we made several ones, but one of the ones was, he talked specifically about this statement. And he was giving an example. And he said, much of my life, I, and he put a, a chair down that he sat on, and he said, I've always thought of my life as, you know, I am the one who's sitting on the throne. I have accepted Jesus as my savior, as my redeemer, and all of these other things, but I realized that I didn't really accept him as my Lord because I wasn't willing to give up my throne. So he said, so then eventually I realized, okay, well, maybe I need to give up my throne. So he said, all right, well, let me move down. So he sat, he put another chair down there, and he just sat next to the throne. And he said, 
and I felt comfortable there, you know, because I was right next to Jesus. And anytime Jesus just went a direction I didn't really want to go, I would just reach down and, you know, correct him a little bit. Because this was really the way I wanted to go. And then he said, and one day I was in Cuba. And in Cuba, he had these old Chevys where the, the driver was in the front and then everybody else was on, on a big seat in the back, but you were so far back that you could never reach the driver or the steering wheel. And he said, that's when he realized that if Jesus is Lord in his life, that means that he needs to be sitting in the back and letting him be the driver. And then he invited us to just pray and talk to God. And as I prayed and talked to God about this, I realized that I really hadn't made Jesus Lord of my life either. Yeah, sometimes, you know, I would go to on retreats or things and I would just say, okay, yes, Lord, you be the Lord of my life and, and I surrender everything to you and I would do it. But I didn't do it every day. There were things I wanted to hold on to that I wanted to do. And I was convicted as I was praying that I have been holding on to certain things and saying, but God, I want them. And if I don't have this, then I'm not gonna be happy. That's really what I was saying. And Jesus spoke to me as we were just kneeling down. And I realized I needed to let it go. And I needed to let him be the one who drives my car. And stop pushing him away and saying that my hands are full of this and this and this. So my question for you this morning is, what are your hands full of? Jesus is here reminding us that what he wants to do is come up to you and he's saying here, this is my gift. I want to give you a purpose for your life. I want you to live for me. And you have a choice. Are you going to keep holding on to all those things? Or drop them and make room for what God has to offer I pray that we each choose what God has to offer because there is nothing better. May we fill our hands with what Jesus is offering because it is the best thing that we could ever fill our hands with.